fix my car When I buy gas, don't get me very far My baby needs some milk to drink And mama wants her wine I get a check each week But I don't know what's mine I'm losing track I don't know what to do I got the budgeting blues Welcome to Sensible Chat, the podcast committed to helping you learn positive money mindsets, destroy debt, reduce financial stress, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. Today, we're chatting with Peter Rashawn, founder and CEO of Rashawn Planning and host of the Rich on Planning podcast. He'll discuss various investment options available at any income level and how small change makes a big difference. But first, Sensible Bobby's going to share some things you need to know if you're getting government aid. So, let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the curator of cash, the deer of dough, the nanny of the note. Helping you budget your bottom line, here is Sensible Bobby. Thanks, Scott. You are so cute when you do that. If only the listeners could see me right now. (laughs) I'm glad they can't see either one of us right now. Well, thanks all of you for joining us anyway. You know, I've read some disturbing things lately with respect to government aid, so I just wanted to share them with you because in this case, what you don't know can definitely hurt you. There are reports that some people who have received unemployment benefits during this pandemic are now being told they were overpaid or didn't qualify at all and will have to return the money that was paid to them. I am outraged on so many levels. This is not right. And by the way, did you know that even if you're not asked to return any of it, you will be taxed on the amount you receive. Depending on what state you live in, you'll have to pay federal and state taxes on it. Now, I read another story this week with the headline, Congratulations on your scholarship. Now pay Uncle Sam. According to this article, depending on what you use your scholarship money for, it's taxable. A very rude awakening for many students who weren't aware and got hit with a tax bill they couldn't pay. This is not right either. But it doesn't matter what I think. And unfortunately, it doesn't matter what you think either. Regardless of how we feel about it, if we find ourselves in a situation like this, we're going to have to pay up one way or another. We have to focus on what we can do about it. And what you can do is ask questions. Anytime you're getting government aid of any kind, ask questions. Find out ahead of time if you're going to owe taxes or how you can make sure you're not being overpaid. Get all the information you can and then put money aside for taxes regardless of the answer. You just never know. Are you going to get accurate information? Are the rules going to change in the middle of your situation? Do they even know the rules they're rolling out with some of these plans? Doesn't seem like it. So the best way I know to protect myself is to save for taxes just in case the IRS comes calling. General rule of thumb I use is to find out what tax bracket I'm in and save that percentage. A quick internet search will tell you what tax bracket you're in. If it turns out the IRS doesn't want your money, you can put it toward your top financial goal. Either way, this kind of planning helps me sleep better at night, and I hope it helps you too. As always, ask your tax professional for the best way to handle this, given your specific situation. But this goes directly to why I think budgeting is so important. Anytime you depend on someone else for money, you run the risk of strings attached, unintended consequences, and loss of choice. If you control your money, you call the shots. I can hear you telling me right now you don't have the money to call the shots. Ah, but that's what the budget is for. 
so you can focus on your goal of getting to the point where you do have enough money to call the shots in your life, whatever that means to you. You may not have much to budget today, but small changes make a big difference. We're going to talk more about that with our guest. Take a seat, class. Sensible University is now in session. Today's guest professor is Peter Rashan, founder and CEO of Rashan Planning and host of the Rich on Planning podcast. Peter has been selected by Dave Ramsey and the Ramsey Solutions Organization as a smart vester pro to help with retirement planning, college savings, and taxes. His insight and guidance has been heard on hundreds of radio stations across the country and featured in several retirement planning books. Peter, thanks so much for being our guest professor today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the uh, opportunity, Bobby. You know, it used to be that investing was seen as a rich man's game, but now there's so many ways to invest with so little, it's really open to everyone. But the question is, with so many options to invest, how do we choose the right ones, especially those of us who have very little to invest? Well, I mean, there's been said to invest in what you know. So if you use a company, I think that's a good thing to have some knowledge of what you're investing in. But investing in one stock or one company can also be very risky. So I actually prefer just to invest in what's widely known, which is the market indexes. If, if you're just getting started, if you've got 50 bucks to invest, 100 bucks to invest, $1,000, whatever, I think that it is a good way to get started and begin to understand how investing works just to invest in like an S&P index fund. And there are several of those, but they're all about the same. What they do is they track the performance of an index. In this case, I'm giving the example of the S&P, which is 500 of America's largest companies, the S&P 500. It's what you see on the news every day. So when you see that the market has gone up and the S&P has gone up, you can actually invest in an index fund that will track that performance. And I think that's a good way to get started. For most people, they can see it, they can track it. It's pretty simple to understand. Did the market go up or go down? That's how you know what your results are for that day or that week or that year. Yeah. And this is a perfect time because, you know, just in the last couple of years, all of the brokerage houses have started. um, What is the commission trading? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so you don't have to worry about those fees. And so whatever little you do have can go straight to your investment, which makes it great. And there's really no pre-qualifications to open one of those, right? No, no. You can, at any number of different outlets, I could name a few, but E-Trade or TD Ameritrade, or you can get very inexpensive, low to really no cost access to the market. And investing in those kind of index funds is going to cost you very little. Their internal costs and expenses are minimal compared to some other types of investments, some other mutual funds. And so for a very low cost, you can get access to the market and you can begin investing. And I think that that's key. Get started, then try to make a habit of it. Another thing that's pretty popular right now is micro investing. And there's a lot of apps and, you know, sites that'll do micro investing out there. But is it worth it or do the fees eat away more than it's worth to do it that way? So you're talking about like the acorns kind yeah, of sites? Yeah. So I think it's worth it. It's a novel idea and concept that you round your change up on every purchase and it goes toward your investment account. I think having savings done 
automatically is such a benefit because it's so hard to stick to a discipline and routine for many of us to make sure that we're doing it if we actually have to think about it and have to take action for it to happen. And so the fact that these apps and these micro investing services make it automatic, I think is a benefit. Now, you know, these have fees and expenses too, but I think that if you're making a couple hundred purchases in the course of a month, like most of us do, you know, you're going to see that there is growth above and beyond the cost for access through that particular app. I think Acorns is like a dollar a month or something to have access to it. And, you know, with three or four purchases, you can easily overcome that cost and then begin to actually grow your investment account, which is pretty cool. Another kind of automatic one that's been there for quite a while is the 401k, of course, that a lot of people have access to through their job. But a lot of people don't understand how to use it or too overwhelmed just by the concept to even take advantage of it. And then deciding what to invest in is completely foreign. But if they don't have a lot of money in their 401k, it can be hard to find professional help with that. So what can they do to figure out how to best use their 401k? Well, so first, the 401k is a great tool, another opportunity to get your savings done automatically, but you do have to know a few things to get started. The choices and options that you have to select from, it's not overly complicated, actually. And they're designed to simplify the process by giving the participant a set menu. So instead of the 12,000 plus different options and mutual funds that are available in the entire financial world, we're only looking at maybe 12 to 15 different options that the company has provided us on our set menu to choose from. So that part shouldn't be overly complicated, but you probably do want to do a little research just to find out the basics of what some funds are. And I like to go to a simple tool, Yahoo Finance, and you can look up different funds at Yahoo Finance and find out at least the basics about the funds that you have choices from. But I do think that the 401k, it's one of our most valuable tools for saving for retirement because it has essentially replaced what used to comprise retirement, which was the pension. A generation or two ago, they used to work for a company for 30 years, retire, get a gold watch, and then get paid for the rest of their lives. And that's how they were secure in retirement. Today's generation, by and large, does not have that pension. And the 401k is what has replaced it. But now we have to put some skin in the game. So a couple things. If there is a match on the table, do not overlook the opportunity to participate and contribute to that 401k and capture that match. There's nowhere else in the financial world where you can get that kind of guaranteed return day one for making an investment. And I don't care if they're matching 100% or 50% or 25% on the dollar. There's no place that I can go invest a dollar and it's guaranteed the next day to be a dollar 25. So capture the match. I do have a problem with the terminology free money. I have found that very little in life is free, especially money. That is actually part of your compensation. You are working for that money. 
you just don't get it unless you put some skin in the game, unless you are serious enough to make some investment and are taking your financial future seriously. So don't overlook that that is part of your pay. The only way that you get that part of your pay is by saving into that 401k. So I really think it's vitally important and it really gives people the best opportunity for long-term growth, doing it automatically, out of sight, out of mind, dollar cost averaging over time. Now, out of sight, out of mind, there are some disadvantages there too, because we can't just forget that it's there. We've got to pay attention to it a little bit. And, you know, I've heard that over the years, I remember people telling me, you know, if you're getting a match, make sure that you're taking it. And it was always so frustrating for me because, you know, I was in a position where I didn't feel like I had enough money to afford putting that out of my paycheck. That obviously made my paycheck smaller if I was going to contribute to my 401k. And then how could I make my bills? But then I'm missing out on this free money. And it was so frustrating. And then at some point, it finally hit me, hey, maybe I could could change my withholding so that there was more on my paycheck, but then contribute to my 401k to kind of balance that out. And that was the way that I was able to start contributing just a little bit to my 401k. Does it make sense to do that? What are the pros and cons of doing that? Because I certainly don't want to mess with the IRS. Sure. No, you don't. (laughs) That's an interesting concept. I like it. I think that Obviously, you know, you can play with the withholdings a little bit, maybe give yourself a little extra to make that contribution to your 401k, but you don't want to get into the gray area with the IRS, like you said. And a lot of people enjoy getting a tax refund at the end of the year when they file their taxes. If you're getting that, you're giving the government an interest-free loan during the course of the year. So absolutely, if you're getting a refund, I would make some changes to your withholdings and then get that money that you otherwise would have received in the refund during the course of the year and then contribute that to the 401k. So yeah, I, I think that makes sense. But I guess more at a base level, if you cannot afford to save a few dollars while you're earning a paycheck, think about how hard retirement is going to be when you no longer have a paycheck with which to live off of and to cover those expenses. So I think that more than playing with the withholdings, which is a good concept to get people going, give them a few extra dollars, but more basic than that, we really need to look at the budget and say, hey, are there some extra expenses that I could do without so that one day in the future when I can no longer go to work or when my paycheck stops, I can still afford to cover at least some basic expenses. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, there it's it's never too early to start that budget and No, and, but it's never too late either. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, and that certainly leads to my next question because, you know, when you start investing young, even little tiny amounts are going to add up to big amounts because of the power of compounding. But what would you say to a middle-aged person who currently has no investments, very little to invest each month, say 25 bucks, and they think it's too little to make a difference? It's never too little to make a difference. You know, if you've got that 25 bucks a month that after you have made ends meet and pinched every penny and stretched every dollar and you've been able to budget in a way that you've got $25 left over at the end of the month, we need to put that money to work. Your dollars are your employees. They've got to work for you. So I would say that, you know, it's never too much. It's never too little. It's never too early. It's never too late to get started. And 
the benefits of starting early are pretty obvious. If you ever look at that graph, the time value of money and the hockey stick shoots up at the end, it's pretty impressive. But if you don't get started now, you're not missing out on the early years of growth. You're missing out on those later years of growth, the part that hockey sticks. That's what you miss out on by not starting today. And I heard a, a story or kind of a question. If I wanted shade in my yard, the best time to have planted a tree would have been 30 years ago. But if <laughs> yeah. I don't, if I don't have that tree today or that shade today, the next best time to plant that tree is now, right? So let's get started. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And you're a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro, and I'm a huge Dave Ramsey fan, so I know what that means. But could you explain that for those listening who aren't familiar with that? Dave Ramsey is a very well-known radio show host and financial guru. I think he's got the now second largest syndicated radio program in the country. His courses on financial wellness and, and planning strategies, and really it's a common sense approach to handling money and finance. They are now taught in, I think, half of high schools across the country. Awesome. And a lot of churches as well teach his financial Peace University. This was a guy that at 23 years old was a millionaire on paper. He was a, a real estate agent. A lot of it was leveraged through debt. And the banks called all of his mortgages because they said, hey, why have we lent a 23-year-old several million dollars? And so he had to scramble and and sell a lot of properties real quick and came up with a majority of the money within 60 days. But I think the last $300,000 or something, he couldn't manage to pay off. And so he himself had to declare bankruptcy. He's got a personality that is going to tell you like it is and tell you, smart money moves and things that aren't so smart with your money, (laughs) which, you know, sometimes we need to have a little bit of abrasiveness there. We need a little bit of a wake up call to understand that we're doing things that aren't so smart, but he has got a very regimented specific series of steps. And he's written a book uh, and, and talks about his baby steps. He's got seven baby steps for getting out of debt and building wealth. And I think that they're probably 110% spot on accurate as far as if you follow those steps, step by step, you can turn the corner, understand what it takes to get out of debt, get a better handle on your finances, on your money, and then begin to grow and build wealth. So where do you come in as a smart investor pro? So really at any point in time, I'm happy to speak with anyone who is taking their planning and their financial future seriously. And so just as, as a coach and a teacher and a mentor, if you're looking to prioritize and want to figure out what the first step is or, or where you are in that baby step process, whether it's just making sure that you got your baby emergency account, $1,000, and now we can go out and we can begin tackling whatever debts that we have, smallest to largest, or now it's time for baby step four. We've got our fully funded emergency account and we're looking to invest. I can help somebody get their priorities anywhere along the way. I would say that it's not really until baby step four that having a relationship with a money manager or a broker or advisor really makes sense as far as what it might cost. But there are plenty of resources out there like myself, Dave Ramsey, Smart Vester Pros with the heart of a teacher that want to help people get to that point that are willing to walk people through those first several steps. 
Right. And so according to Dave Ramsey's Baby Steps, you stop investing if you were at all until all your debt is paid off and you've built a six month emergency fund. But there are a lot of investment professionals out there who disagree because they say the compound interest you're going to lose is not worth stopping those investments. What is your view on that? Yeah, that's an interesting one. You know, Dave is pretty hard line with his steps and I I respect it and I get it. I think that there may be some cases where you could make that argument. Well, I don't want to lose on that compounding power, but guess what? Debt is compounding against you too, right? If I had $1,000 to go out and invest and I bought that S&P index fund we talked about on January 1st of the year, December 31st, I could not guarantee myself that that $1,000 would still be $1,000, right? There is no guarantee of a positive return there. But if I had a $1,000 debt, let's say a credit card, and I did not pay on that $1,000 credit card, or even just made minimum payments, I can promise you that by the end of the year, I will have owed more than $1,000 because there's a guaranteed interest rate there. And I think Dave's looking at it from the perspective of, okay, with a limited amount of dollars that we have the ability to control our future and make a difference, how can we guarantee that this dollar works its hardest to make the biggest difference possible? And it's certainly on the debt side because the interest that those are going to accrue is guaranteed, whereas the investment results, those returns, yes, compounding is a nice thing when it works in our favor, but it's not a guarantee in the investment world. Right. And it's not fun when that compounding interest is working against you in debt. So. No, no, no. Number one rule of getting out of a hole, right? Yeah, exactly. Quit, quit digging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I would venture to say that, you know, the same way that the debt snowball works, it could be the same way as because once that's done, then you can snowball that money into your investments. So, right. And that's Dave's whole theory is that you take your debts, you line them up smallest to largest. And even that part of it for a lot of people doesn't necessarily makes sense because they they think to themselves, well, what if that larger debt has a higher interest rate? Isn't that making more of a difference? And yes, it is. But money is not just math. Money is mental and emotional. And if you can have a sense of progress and achievement with your money, it can change your outlook on it. So if you get that smallest debt paid off and you've got that sense of, I did something, I changed this one little piece and it gives you the power to attack that next one and then that next one, it changes your perception of the money is running your life and now you are in charge of your money telling it what to do. So I do agree with that system and and the way that he's got that lined up. I do too. That was the system that I used and it really worked for me. And I had the same question about the, you know, snowball versus the avalanche, as they call it, if you were going to start with the uh, highest interest rate. But when I actually crunched the numbers, what I found was that the difference was minuscule. And some people, it might make a big difference and some people it might not. So it was an easy call for me. But like you said, I also found it much more motivating to make those small wins in the beginning that kept me going because the bigger wins take longer to get to. So, Well, let's say you've got 12 $1,000 debts and then a $12,000 debt. Right. If you pay off the $12,000 debt in one year, I mean, congratulations, you've made progress, you did something, but you still have 11 of these other payments or 
or 12 of these other payments out there to keep track of, to keep on top of. Whereas if you've attacked it smallest to largest and paid off those 12 $1,000 debts, now you only have one bill to focus on. And all of the money that was going to all of those other ones can now be focused on the one and you'll make a a lot of headway real quick. Yeah, it definitely feels great. I I actually found it exciting just watching those numbers grow as I was paying off debt. So millions and millions of people who follow Dave Ramsey have found that exciting as well. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, you know, I used to think that investing was just for retirement, but I've actually come to learn that it can help you reach many other goals as well. But at the same time, people are always saying, be careful to differentiate saving from investing. So how do we reconcile these two and use our money in the most efficient way? So let's talk about the difference between saving and investing. Saving is safe. There is no risk of loss. Investing, by definition, has some risk associated with it, some risk of loss of capital. So you're hoping for wins, you're hoping for gains, but that is not money that you want to depend on absolutely being there when you need it to be there or really anytime at any specific given point in the future. Now, over time, investing has grown more than savings, right? Savings has whatever low interest rate we can get on safe money, where investing has the opportunity for gains far, far above that and over time should more than account for offsetting and growing more than inflation. Whereas saving, you don't necessarily have that to be true. But there's certain money that is important to our day-to-day lives that we shouldn't be taking risk with. And so our paycheck, you know, we depend on that paycheck to cover our day-to-day living expenses. We shouldn't be risking, if we know that we're earning enough to cover those day-to-day living expenses, we should not be risking that money trying to take chance and and grow it, but with the possibility of not being there to cover those day-to-day living expenses. Likewise, our emergency account. You know, this, this is not exciting money. It's not going to change the world for us, except that it it actually can, because if we have some kind of event that could be an emergency and we've got that emergency fund there, that is changing the world. That's taking an emergency and turning it into an inconvenience. If you can stroke a check and, and take care of a problem, it's an inconvenience. Whereas if you can't, it's an emergency. And even maybe a little extra for comfort. I think that some people, even if they've got three to six months worth of living expenses, they want a little extra there just to feel comfortable. But much above and beyond that, we are losing money safely to inflation if we keep in excess above and beyond about that three to six months worth of living expenses sitting in safe accounts. I saw an advertisement the other day for a five-year, 60-month CD that was paying 0.48%. And I'm like, you know, over five years, the purchasing power of those dollars is going to shrink far more than one half of 1%. So lazy money, money that could be earning something, could be put to different purposes, that is the money that you should be investing with. However, I'll give another caution is that if you cannot stay invested with your money for probably five years or more, then you probably shouldn't be investing with it for even five minutes. Because within five years, if something happens, I mean, we've seen them recently, you know, over the past 20 years, several examples where the market 
took a downturn, people, even though they know it can happen, they never expect it. And so people who were counting on that money to be there at a specific point in time in 2001 and 2002 and 2008 or during the coronavirus, COVID pandemic, you know, those things came out of the blue, so to speak, and, and kind of surprised people. And people who were thinking that their money was going to be there in those investments were unpleasantly surprised. So you just have to understand the difference and you have to differentiate your money. I wrote a book, Understanding Your Investment Options. And the first part of that book, I actually explain that money can do four things for us. It can grow, it can be safe, it can be liquid, or it can provide an income. And money's terrible at multitasking. So you have to assign every dollar a specific job. And and really, you you need to understand how to cover your base lifestyle security first and foremost before even really looking at investing. What about somebody who is saving for a home, let's say? Is that kind of money going into an investment vehicle to grow for that purpose? Or is it sitting in something safer and letting it take longer? What makes the most sense? hard work and discipline, and it might take a little longer. But if you are planning on buying a home this year, then I really don't think that that money should be in a place where in one year when you're going to buy that house, it could be less than you started with or less than you put into it. If you're planning on buying a house five years or more out into the future, maybe let's take a little risk with that money, but I still would be probably more conservative on the spectrum there. So what kind of things would you recommend using investments to grow money for besides retirement? I think that longer term goals, if I do want to buy a house and it's in my financial to-do list five to 10 years out in the future, that's absolutely something that you you should be investing for. Again, more conservative if the timeline is shorter, maybe a little bit more aggressive if it's 10 years out or more. College education for kids, that's another big one. Same strategy though, as you get closer to that date, you want to be less and less aggressive with those funds. And I said money's a terrible multitasker. You can to some extent dual purpose those. The Roth IRA is a great place that you can grow money for long-term goals like retirement, but you can actually access the original principal contributions that you have made really at any point in time without the 10% penalty or, or taxes on it. So the original contributions, let's say over 10 years, if I'm maxing out my Roth IRA, that could be $60,000 that I use for my child's college education. But then the growth on that money that occurred over that 10-year period, is money that I can intend and and utilize for retirement. So there are some opportunities like that, but I think, you know, anything much more than about five to 10 years out on your financial goals and priorities, that's the time to start investing. And you just have to think about your timeline. Now, I have a story that I I was reading about the other day, and it brought up an interesting question in my mind, because there's a lot of people that are getting to social security age, retirement age without a lot of savings. And, you know, Social Security just, it's not going to cover it very well. I mean, if you have to live on Social Security alone, it's going to be a very tight and could be a scary existence. So I ran across a case study that I wanted to give to you and see what you thought about it. The subject is 70 years old. She's retired. She has about $10,000 in a target date mutual fund and about $8,000 in cash. She's debt free and her Social Security is enough to cover her living expenses as long as she can keep the room she's currently renting because she doesn't own a home. So what is the best way to grow the little savings she has while safeguarding it as much as humanly possible? 
Well, I think that financial progress begins and ends with the budget and lining up your income sources and your expenses. So first and foremost, somebody that's that close to the end of the money at the end of the month really needs to be paying very close attention to the budget, as I'm sure this case study, this example, she would have to be. I mean, she's on a, a fixed income with Social Security. The average Social Security check, let's say that it's $1,700, okay? Sure. So first and foremost, she still needs an emergency account. Yeah. Right. So six months worth of expenses, I imagine, are right about even with the income that she would have seventeen hundred dollars a month from Social Security times seventeen hundred is ten thousand two hundred dollars. So she's got eight thousand dollars in cash, you said. Mm -hmm. Really, that's that's kind of right there in the three to six months worth of living expenses. She should keep that in cash. That is important to prevent emergencies from really sinking that ship. And then the $10,000, it's in a target date fund. So that's actually already invested. That's probably the right ratio for this individual. But $10,000 invested and put away today and then never making another bit of contribution or, or addition to it is not the path to financial freedom. And I don't care if we're talking about a 70-year-old example here or a 20-year-old. If you invest $10,000 and then leave it alone forever thinking that you're going to be rich one day, that's just not the way it works. Right. Ongoing contributions are the best way to make that work. So back to this example, if she's got the income that covers her current expenses, if she is paying attention to her budget, she's got what is about an appropriate amount of cash on hand emergency account, then any additional dollar she can afford to squeeze from that budget, I think she should be making ongoing contributions. And it doesn't matter to me if it's $20 a month. If she could be putting that away, that would be the best thing for her situation because things come up in life and things get more expensive over time. And yes, I understand social security is designed to have a cost of living adjustment, but if you ask anybody who's on it, it does not keep up with the cost of living. So just while she can, if she can, if she has any ability to pay attention to the budget, control the expenses, save and over and above that emergency account, try to invest that money and, and make the most of every opportunity she has. Yeah, I really appreciate that because it it just kind of goes to show no matter what your age is and no matter what your situation is, there are things you can do. I mean, if you give up and do nothing, your situation is just going to be so much worse than if you can dive in and do what you can. It may not be much, but every little bit is going to help. And the power really is in your hands to take control and do something with it. Indeed. Yeah. And and people need to realize that. I think that a lot of people feel powerless because they have not taken that power, right? right? They have not addressed the fact that, yes, even if it's small, I can make a difference. But, you know, small changes change the world eventually. So, yeah. let's make those efforts and, and try to make even the smallest of changes. That is a beautiful way to end. I love that. So, Peter, tell the listeners how they can get in touch with you. And, and tell me the name of your book again. Understanding Your Investment Options is the name of the book. 
That's on Amazon. It is not a page turner. You're not going to be riveted. Good sleeping material if you're having trouble. <laughs> Insomnia <laughs> cure. I'll tell you that. But what it does is it breaks down most of the typical types of investments. Everything from checking to savings accounts to money market accounts, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, cryptocurrencies, gold, life insurance, annuities, all of those different things. And it gives a little synopsis of where and when each one might be appropriate or should be considered. And you can find, again, understanding your investment options on Amazon. If you'd like to find me or be in touch, go to richonplanning.com. This is what it looks like. Rich on Planning is my last name, Peter Rashan, richonplanning.com. But that's the best way to get in touch. Peter, thank you so much for being our guest professor today and such valuable information. I really appreciate your time. Well, it has been a pleasure and honor being on the program, Bobby. Thank you very much. A great, big, sensible thank you to our guest professor, Peter Rashan, founder and CEO of Rashan Planning and host of the Rich on Planning podcast. You can visit him online at richonplanning.com. Small changes change the world. I love that. So true and so powerful if you choose to believe it. Do you believe it? Let's talk about some small changes that can make a big difference. I'm going to start with saving for retirement. I spent a lot of time justifying the fact that I had nothing saved because it's so far off, I've got plenty of time. And right now, I'm just trying to make ends meet. A couple of bucks here and there isn't enough to make a dent, so why bother? Sound familiar? Problem is, time marches on, and the longer we wait, the more we have to save in order to make up for lost time. Here's an easy example. I need $1,000 in 12 months. That's $84 per month. But if I wait six months to start saving, now I need to save $167 per month. Reality is, at some point, if we live long enough, we're not going to be able to work. And when that time comes, you need to have enough money set aside to sustain your lifestyle. So start now, even if it's only a couple of bucks. Put $10 per paycheck in your 401k if that's all you can spare. It's better than nothing and it will add up. Now I can hear you saying, it's not that I'm trying to put it off. It's just that I don't have the money to save right now. I'm barely making ends meet. I get it. I believed that too until I created my financial picture. Then I realized that even with my meager income, I had choices. Bobby, I'm going to interrupt here because I didn't see the value of budgeting at first. I never had a problem with my money. And when you and I met, you were actually pretty impressed with my method. Oh, yeah. Which really was nothing other than just writing due dates on my bills and putting them in the order that they were due and paying them on time before the date listed on the envelope. Simple enough. But I wasn't saving. And I never saw myself as a victim of my own bad habits. I just didn't prioritize it. I didn't make it a priority. And even when there was money left over, because I always did my checkbook, if you recall, I would round up. So if something was four ninety five, I would just make it five bucks. There's an extra five cents in my account that I'm going to forget about. That's extra money. That's money that you can actually put towards other desires, choices, goals. That's money that you can save towards retirement. As we get older, it gets harder, just like Bobby said. There's no denying that. Unless you double your income at 55 and the next 20 years is nothing but biscuits and gravy for you, wonderful. Gosh, I hope we're that lucky. But most of us aren't. Pennies turn into nickels. Nickels turn into dimes. Dimes turn into quarters. 
quarters turn into dollars. It adds up. And I would have never seen any of this unless my wife, Sensible Bobby, showed me the light. She really did. And I have to say... We're not rich people by any stretch, and I really hope I'm not giving anybody that impression. I don't think I am. But the budgeting tactics and methodologies that have been implemented in our financial lives through Bobby's Budgeting has made all the difference. We're not struggling. We're not wanting for anything. I just had to celebrate three big birthdays within the last month. We set aside budgets for the gifts and and who we have to buy for. This happens to be a particularly big month for birthdays and celebrations and whatnot. A lot of money that we needed, but it was there. Bobby's been working on it since the beginning of the year. I didn't have to ask, can I go out and buy gifts? Can we do this? Can we do that? Can we contribute to this big dinner, whatever? Yes, we can. It was all there and it didn't touch any of our regular expenses. We're living it. It's funny that you never saw it adding up before because I remember when you were still handling the books and looking through when I first started doing it with your method of rounding up and those five cents and 50 cents or, you know, a dollar fit, whatever it was, it totally added up. At the time, it was just our cushion because if we forgot an expense, then we would never go negative and have to pay that fee. Exactly. It was just a cushion, but it was Bobby's diligence and research and motivation and eventually planning that turned those extra cents into extra dollars, those extra dollars into stocks that we were able to buy to put towards our retirement, into dollars that we were able to use to put towards our mutual funds, our 401k. We've got a nest. We're still building that nest, but we have one. And I'm utterly convinced it's due solely to good financial planning. In other words, budgeting. You budget, you know what you got. You budget, you know where it's going. You budget, you know what you got to save. It's just that simple. Listen to Sensible Bobby. I am lucky not only because I have you and you love me so much and I love you for it and that you're so excited about it, but I'm lucky because the reason that I'm so excited about it and the reason it's worked so well for us is because it's a joy. I mean, when you get past the point of the struggle and the stress and you get yourself on that path, it really becomes a joy because this is how I dream. This is how we dream together and we can actually make a plan based on our budget. So, it's fun. I mean, it's it's fun for me, and I know it's not always fun for other people, but I truly believe that with the right mindset and the right plan, you can get to the point where it's fun, and it's just very exciting to plan your future with actual dollars instead of just a dream that you hope will happen. So back to finding choices. I created a budget that got me out of debt and gave me the money to save for retirement. And as Scott and I were just talking about, it wasn't much at first, but every little bit adds up. And even if you create your financial picture and find out there's not even a penny to spare, you now have the power to make changes that will give you pennies to spare. Because now you know exactly what you're spending where, and now you can choose to spend differently going forward. I used to believe investing was just for the rich. So did I. And actually, I'm going to keep cutting Bobby off because she's had over a year worth of uh, episodes. And I I think I finally have. uh, You deserve it. I've discovered my voice. (laughs) Woohoo! I'm going to repeat myself here because this is absolutely true. Bobby just mentioned we had some pennies left over. Pennies add up to nickels. Nickels add up to dimes. Dimes add up to quarters. Quarters add up to dollars. 
This isn't me speaking. This is reality. It's just that simple, folks. I cannot stress strongly enough the power of a financial picture, the power of a budget. I never, never put anything on paper when I was handling our books. And I didn't throw us into any sort of financial turmoil. I didn't. But once Bobby got on the books, once she started pursuing it the way that she does, drafting a financial picture, getting all the expenses laid out and whatnot, it's night and day. It is absolutely night and day. Listen to her. Thank you. Even if you might be a little biased, I love you for it. I am not biased. (laughs) We may be married, but hey, he's benefited from it too. And we both used to believe that investing was just for the rich. That's why I ignored most of what I was hearing through my jobs for so many years. But now I truly believe that investing is even more important for the not so rich. Because think about it. The rich can probably get by if they falter on saving and investing for retirement, right? I mean, sure, they may have to liquidate some assets, but they have the type of assets to liquidate that are going to keep them afloat during these tough times or during retirement. But for the not-so-rich, the difference between investing and not investing for retirement could mean the difference between having a roof over our heads and having to sleep on someone else's couch. And these days, anyone can invest. As Peter and I talked about, there are apps that will round up your purchases and invest the change. That's something everyone can do. And let's not forget my point of view. Pennies add to nickels. Nickels add up to dimes. Dimes add up to quarters. Quarters add up to dollars. It's so true. It's amazing how fast it adds up when you let it. You know, The way I look at it, someday there is not going to be a company giving me a paycheck. And when that day comes, I want to have choices. Look, I've struggled most of my life. I'd like the struggle to end before I die. If you're struggling right now, make it count. Do you want to struggle forever? If not, start changing it now. Make a plan so you can struggle in the most effective way possible for the shortest amount of time before you sit back and reap the rewards of your hard work. If money is tight today, what can you do to make it more flexible tomorrow? You always hear two things, cut spending and increase income. Those are surefire ways you'll have more money, but it does you no good if you're not planning your spending, because inevitably, you just end up spending it somewhere else. Creating your financial picture is going to show you exactly how much money is coming in and where it's going. With that information, you can make a plan and create a budget to redirect it however you choose. Instead of cutting spending, look at it as deciding how much to spend on what. Question all your expenses and really be intentional about where and how you budget your money. This includes savings. Maybe at first you only have a dollar or two to save. That's $2 more than you had before, and it will grow as you add more, as Scott has said. And if you have debt, the easiest way to make your money more flexible is to get rid of that debt and do everything in your power not to create any new debt. Be a debt slayer. Then all the money you were paying toward debt can be used to accomplish your bigger financial goals. Maybe you can only pay $2 above the minimum payment right now. Do it. Every little bit helps and every little bit lowers the amount you're gonna be charged interest on. If you're patient and intentional, you will see progress over time. 
The point is, you have the power to make your money more flexible tomorrow, even if you don't increase your income. If you want some help getting started or just brainstorming, reach out to me and let's work together. You can learn more about my budget coaching services at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Bobby, there are two words that you just said within the last 30 seconds that I think are integral to what you're speaking to. Patience and intention. This type of lifestyle, if you will, has to be intentional. You are going to have a bit of a reaction at first when you actually see your full financial picture. If you've never taken a look and you're going, oh my God, look at all this money I'm squandering. You had no idea. How could you? You never actually did a financial picture. But if you're patient, and like Bobby says, an extra dollar here, an extra five there, an extra quarter, it doesn't matter. It all adds up. Intentionally, intentionally plotting your next financial move. Intentionally plotting every dime you're going to spend. Even if it's going to be spent on fast food, budget that money. You know that's what it's budgeted for. So you're not taking anything out of your mouth per se. You're not going to struggle in any way. It's intentional. It's really that simple, folks. Patience, intention. So well put. Patience and intention. Two of the biggest factors that need to come into play when you're taking control of your finances. Remember, budgeting is not hard. It's just math. Changing your mindset is what trips most people up. But if you're ready to stop struggling and want control over your choices, you might find it a bit easier to change that mindset and live the life you dream of. So until next time, remember, do the math, live the life. That does it for this episode of Sensible Chat with your host, Sensible Bobby. Links for all the resources mentioned can be found in the show notes for this episode at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. While you're there, find your favorite app to be sure and never miss a show. On social media, look for us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you need help with your budget or want to share your thoughts, reach out to Sensible Bobby through the contact page at sensiblechat.com. That's sensible with a C. Thank you.